the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two, 602 is your key to join the conversation, add to it, whatever you like. I uh, spent my monologue talking a little bit about uh, the Trump indictment and a little bit about a major story I don't want us to miss and a major dereliction of duty by the media in not pursuing either of them. Here's a third. Here's a third. And it's, I think, huge. From, from, from Fox News, Senator Chuck Grassley said Monday that the Burisma executive who allegedly paid Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, this is the $5 million they each were paid, the $10 million collectively, has 17 audio recordings of his conversations with them as an insurance policy. This is citing the FBI confidential informant form known as FD-1023 that the Bureau briefly, excuse me, that the Bureau briefed congressional leaders on last week. Charles Grassley said from the Senate floor on Monday what was said to be a redacted reference to the FBI form alleging a criminal bribery scheme between the then Vice President Joe Biden and a foreign national that involved influence over U.S policy decisions. Fox News Digital exclusively reported on the contents of the form last week, and it found that the FBI's interview was with what they, the FBI, said was a quote-unquote highly credible confidential source who detailed multiple meetings and conversations he or she had with the top Burisma executive over the course of several years, starting in 2015 when Joe Biden was vice president. Now, If you go to the Twitter feed of Tom Elliott, uh, you may not know him, and he's worth following. Uh, He's got a lot of followers already, I think uh, about 150,000. But if you don't follow him, Tom Elliott, two L's, two T's. He's the founder and editor of a media resource known, maybe some of you know of it, called Grabian, G-R-A-B-I-E-N. It's a media news clipping service. In any event... He quotes Chuck Grassley as saying the foreign national who allegedly bribed Joe and Hunter Biden allegedly has audio recordings of his conversation, 17 such recordings, according to the 1023. The foreign national possesses 15 audio recordings of phone calls between him and Hunter and two audio recordings of phone calls between him and then Vice President Biden. Still quoting Grassley from the Senate floor today. These recordings were allegedly kept as a sort of insurance policy for the foreign national in case that he got into a tight spot. The 1023 also indicates that then-Vice President Joe Biden may have been involved in Burisma employing Hunter Biden. Special Counsel Jack Smith has used a recording against former President Trump. Well, what is U.S. Attorney Weiss doing with respect to these alleged Joe and Hunter Biden recordings that are apparently relevant to the high-stakes bribery scheme? I think it's important we should know. How did Richard Nixon put it? I think it's important for the American people to know if their president is a crook. 
Well, I'm not a crook. That's what he said. And it wasn't about Watergate. Most people think it was. It wasn't. That was, uh, it was either, it was, it was, it was, a, it was about a tax case. Does that, should that not be astounding? Should that not be something you would think the media would want? Would they not want it because they were scooped? Well, it didn't stop the Washington Post and the New York Times from reporting on scandals of Republicans just because on one day one scooped the other and on the next the other scooped back. The lack of curiosity isn't a lack by the mainstream media, is not a lack of curiosity. It's willful blindness. It is deliberately set to keep the presidency of Joe Biden afloat, just as equally so to keep the leadership of any Republican far, far off in the horizon. Anyone knows in a normal time in this country, with a normal media in this country, there would be a couple if not three major investigations by the media taking place right now. Major, major. One would be, how is it that the Defense Department covered up, misled about a Cuba, Chinese-Cuba satellite spying operation off the coast of Florida? That would be one. Two, did Joe Biden approve of, have advanced knowledge of, or even order Merrick Garland to open up an investigation with Jack Smith. Jack Smith is not an independent counsel, I remind you. He is a special counsel. He directly reports to Merrick Garland. Is there no curiosity as to the conversations between Merrick Garland and Joe Biden on this very issue? Reporters in a normal time, in a normal day, would be all over that story. And finally this. Is there no curiosity whatsoever about a about a whistleblower, about an FBI confidant who has proven reliable in the past, has been paid six-figure salaries by the FBI for giving them good information, testifying that there are 17 audio recordings of a Burisma executive in the Bidens, talking about the money paid to the Bidens for their help? Is there no reporter who thinks it odd in the extreme that Joe Biden maintains he's never once discussed business dealings with his son? Who even accepts that as passing the laugh test, never mind something worthy of investigation journalistically? I mean, I think Gary Hart is owed an apology for saying, if you think something's there, come investigate me. He's owed an apology. They took him up on it. Who, 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 who here is a parent in this audience or the child or, or, or a child business person or worker, employee or entrepreneur in this audience who has never talked to their son or if it's a son, the son or daughter talking to their parent about what they do in their business dealings, in their business affairs? Who here accepts that as even likely plausible? The balance of the weight is entirely on the other side. I don't know what the political gamesmanship or thought is 
in the Democratic Party about this indictment of Donald Trump. I can't tell anymore whether they really think they have the goods on him and want to put him away and take him off the scene, or whether they think in going after him they can improve his internal numbers with the base because he's the easiest to defeat, or what? I can't tell. I don't know what they're thinking. But I do know that the story, whatever it is about Donald Trump, as is the story, to be quite honest, about almost anyone, and in these examples it would be equally true of Joe Biden, is never the first story. It's never the first report. Just as when Joe Biden says he never talked to his son about business dealings, can't possibly be the full and complete story. Can't possibly be. I said something that I think I want to double down on in the last hour as we're going through all these things at once, including a presidential campaign, let us not forget. That when you're looking for whoever you might like second best, regardless of who you like first best, the polling would show and indicate right now that someone like a Tim Scott or a Vivek Ramaswamy would be down the list, far down the list. I would, I would, I would recommend keeping an open eye and ear to them on, on one very important basis. They are willing to talk to and take interviews with the mainstream media, and when they do, they put them in their place. When they do, the liberal MSM interviewers don't get a lick on them and, in fact, walk away pretty scarred for having deigned to interview Tim Scott or Vivek in the first place. I think that's worth something on two counts. It shows you that you have conviction political leaders or politicians who are so comfortable with themselves that they're willing to go into a hornet's nest and they're comfortable enough with themselves that they're willing to go. And when they do, they win. When they do, they win. That will be important for anyone who has to go up against this press, this media, on a whole host of issues, starting with the fact that they're just Republicans. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. China, Russia, Brazil, India, Saudi Arabia, they're all conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed in the big banks have released plans for implementation. The veterans at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? Own private currency, gold and silver. Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical Gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. 
Steve Hayward over at uh, Powerline brings us uh, an important new study or highlights an important new study uh, in preprint form over at the Social Science Research Network. The paper is titled, How Did the COVID Pandemic Response Harm Society? A Global Evaluation and State of Knowledge Review. It was written by uh, Dr. Kevin Bardosh of the University of Washington and University of Edinburgh. Um, it's a meta-analysis, which is a synthesis of studies of various particular aspects of the, su- of the subject. One might call it a literature review. Here is the abstract that Steve excises. Early in the COVID pandemic, concerns were raised that lockdowns and other non-pharmaceutical interventions would cause significant multidimensional harm to society. This paper comprehensively evaluates the global state of knowledge on these adverse social impacts with an emphasis on their type and magnitude during 2020 and 2021. A harm framework was developed spanning 10 categories, health, economy, income, food security, education, lifestyle, relationships, community, environment, and governance. The analysis synthesizes 600 publications with a focus on meta-analyses, systematic reviews, global reports, and multi-country studies. This cumulative academic research shows that the collateral damage of the pandemic response was substantial wide-ranging, and will leave behind a legacy of harm for hundreds of millions of people in the years ahead. Many original predictions are broadly supported by the research data, including a rise in non-COVID excess mortality, mental health deterioration, child abuse and domestic violence, widening global inequality, food insecurity, lost educational opportunities, unhealthy lifestyle behavior, social polarization, soaring debt, and democratic backsliding and declining human rights. Young people, individuals, and countries with lower socioeconomic status, women, and those with pre-existing vulnerabilities were hit hardest. Societal harms should challenge the dominant mental mode of the pandemic response. It is likely that many COVID policies caused more harm than benefit. May I repeat that? Many COVID policies may have caused more harm than benefit. That's from the study's excerpt itself. The complete study you can get by going to Powerline, powerline, uh, powerlineblog.com. Steve Hayward has it written up, and he writes that, The study, like this abstract, is a a bit bland in the typical prose of academia, though this one is mostly free of specialized jargon and is therefore readable to the layman. But even with this understated prose style, there are devastating findings in the study. And like many academic articles, sometimes the best action is found in the footnotes. At At one early point in the paper, Dr. Bardosh notes, that COVID policy makers were resistant to considering the kind of trade-offs this paper explores and dismissed any caution against collateral harms. Here's one footnote. Quote, One appears to have been a form of motivated reasoning, which I call COVIDization, that overemphasized the benefits and necessity of COVID interventions and downplayed their risks and societal costs. COVIDization has meant that people were much, much more willing to accept greater multidimensional societal harm for hypothetical benefit against 
the virus. Covidization is a term we should file away for future use, as it is certain our overlords will try it again when the next excuse for a power grab does come along. There's this discussion at the end of the paper. Quote, this should support a higher level of healthy skepticism about simplistic narratives and technocratic governance that aim for unrealistic goals presented to the public as urgent moral imperatives. Even if you're not interested in reading this long academic paper, do the author a favor and click on the link and consider downloading it. As the views and downloads are tabulated, it means something when a paper tracks up or racks up a high number of views and downloads. Given where a lot of us were were on this early on, and as I was saying to a caller earlier, most of us who were paying serious attention to this knew everything, almost everything we needed to know by May and certainly as late as, 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 certainly no later than June of 2020. You could see what was going on. You could see who was being affected. You could see what the plans were. You could read the analysis. And we kept a steady, a, a, a steady strain of research over the various promises, misdirection lies. And we kept up the drumbeat about the collateral damage this Dr. Bardosh is talking about. Of course, you know what happened, shame and censorship, because we weren't on team panic, team fear, team let's get Trump at all costs and weaponize the virus against him. Team tyranny. We weren't on it. There was a phrase that, in all my writing and talking about it during those years, I didn't know. And it's a phrase I think we should tuck away again. For future use, I discovered it when I was talking with that liberal journalist, uh, Miss Davis from New York, about her piece in Tablet Magazine about how the field of therapy, psychotherapy, has succumbed to neo-Marxist woke- wokeism. Not about actually curing patients, but about feeding their psychosis, um, continuing it, soothing their. uh, getting them comfortable and soothing them with their disorientation rather than bringing them out of it. And the phrase is moral panic. It's a phrase we should tuck away for future use. I didn't know it from 2020 to about three weeks ago. But look it up. It's a fantastic phrase. A widespread feeling of fear, irrational, that some evil thing threatens the values, interests, or well-being of a community and triggers a social concern, usually perpetuated by moral entrepreneurs and mass media, exacerbated by politicians and lawmakers, leading to deleterious results. Moral panic. That's what we were thrust through. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. little Mike and the Mechanics there for you. They were a break band. Do you know much about them, either of you? They were a break band, uh, you know, a band that formed during the break of, I think, when Genesis was touring. Didn't they come out of Genesis? Am I right about it? I think it was Genesis. I think so. I think so. I'm open to be uh, challenged on that. One of the things I'm also open to uh, your feedback on uh, 
I have, uh, for many years, uh, thrust into it as I was, I suppose, in 2005, uh, been a bit of a student of this 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 law Donald Trump is is being charged with, known as the Espionage Act. And the reason I became so interested in it is not only did it have implications for the Pentagon Papers case, and I'm a student of everything Nixon, or was, and it, it, it had huge implications for the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal when they took uh, classified wartime national security intelligence from several employees in the Bush administration or who worked in the Bush administration, probably not as political employees but as bureaucrats, that blew a lot of our terrorism programs, and they published them. And they not only maintained the confidentiality of their sources, they maintained their moral their moral uh, uprightness, their moral justification in publishing things. Things that blew our surveillance of terrorist program, things that blew our, anti-fi- our anti-terrorist financing program, things that blew our allies and our imprisonment of terrorist program. I mean, the only reason Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is in Guantanamo Bay is because we had to spirit him out of the country we were holding him in because the Washington Post exposed that country and so much more. And they got Pulitzers for it. So it's a little precious on one hand for me to see editors, publishers, and staffers at the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal rubbing their hands over seeing and believing that a former president should be indicted under the Espionage Act. They just dismissed it out of hand because, after all, we're the media. We can play by whatever rule we want. So I've been a kind of a student of it ever since. We were calling on prosecutions in those days. Scott Johnson and John Hinderocker did a lot of work with us on that as well, and you can go back and read some of their writings on it too. But the one provision of the Espionage Act, keep in mind, this is the act that has been used to go after your Aldrich Ameses, your Robert Hansons. I guess he just died. Um, true spies in the United States. That's what espionage means, right? Spying. Anyway, there's a, there's a the, the one portion of the act, it's 18 U.S.C., which means United States Code, Title 18 of the United States Code. Title 18 is the criminal section. U.S.C., Section 793. And particularly... What Smith has indicted Trump on is 793, subsection E. And I would ask you to read that. It's, it's, I'll read it to you, it, and it, it's going to be hard to take in. But read it and just think if it even possibly passes a smell test. Now, there have been various interpretations of how intent is measured here. But the Supreme Court has never taken up this question, has never taken up this question so far as I understand And it says, whoever having unauthorized possession of access to or control over any document, writing, code book, signal book, sketch, photograph, I'm just going to blow through all that, let's just say, relating to the national defense or information relating to the national defense, which information the possessor has reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation, willfully communicates, delivers, transmits, or causes to be communicated or transmitted or attempts to communicate that stuff. 
the reason I'm glossing over the legalese and saying that stuff or blah, 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 think about that one part I read with emphasis. Think about that one part that says any national defense information, which information the possessor, that would be Trump, has reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. Do you think you can credibly find intent on a former president reasonably believing that he was what he was doing would injure the United States or advantage any foreign nation? I think that's going to be an awfully tall bar. It's known as a scienta requirement in legalese, an intent. They are going to have to show that he intended to harm the United States. Of which, by the way, there is no allegation whatsoever that he did. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Thinking of the 70s, that certainly would have been in it, right? Eddie Rabbit singing a theme song to the movie, the Clint Eastwood movie, Ever Which Way But Loose. Why are you looking at me strangely? No, I'm just trying to remember the year of that movie. It was 79, I think, right? Oh, it was somewhere in there, 76. Speaking of, by the way, you finally watched the Panama Canal debate, the firing line 1978 Panama Canal debate, right? Entire one, yeah. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't oh, it great? Well, the, the most amazing part is the last 20 minutes. The la- Buckley's summation, is, and, and Reagan's, and Buckley's, both of theirs, but Buckley's summation it just shows you a certain kind of gift that is very hard. It's hard to explain how gifted that man was on his feet. It really is. And you can't overstate it. You know, sometimes you set expectations too high. But if you watch what he can do on his feet, no no notes or anything, um, you really – you can see it on, you know, whatever social media platform ha- would have it, whether you like YouTube or something else. It's available. And it's highly worth just watching – I call that art, actually. I think it's a form of art. It is the art of rhetoric. It is the art of rhetoric. It was a heck of a series of teams, too. William Buckley, Pat Buchanan, Elmo Zumwalt, um, James Burnham, who was a classic Cold War theorist, George Will, and Ronald Reagan. The moderator was Sam Irvin, who was the chair of the Watergate Investigation Committee. Right? And John McCain's father. Oh, yes. John yes. McCain Sr. How could I forget? Right. John McCain's father. John McCain Sr. That's right. Uh, 1978. Very well worth watching. Maybe we'll pay, play an audio clip at some point. But that summation, you can see this in summations Bill Buckley does at any debate, really, especially if if, if um, it's... Uh, it's one where he's kind of allowed to walk around, <laughs> you know, if it's not in a chair or standing still. You got this in the very famous Oxford debate. It was Oxford, wasn't it, in, uh, on uh, African-American relations in America in uh, 1965, I With think James it was. With James Baldwin? Yeah. Yes, that's Nin- correct. Oxford, yes. Yeah, 1965. Um, on the losing side, let us, let us stipulate. And arguments he would later come to reverse, if not regret, uh, Buckley. But (laughs) ars gratius ars, which is the MGM motto, ars gratia artis, art for art's sake, just watching that supple brain work and connect with the mouth, no notes, 
extant, what did he go, 20 minutes in a tough audience. Again, it's just if you want to when we when we when we honor that kind of um, that kind of brain, that kind of uh, person, you kind of have to see it. But um, it's also worth going back and understanding how importantly, uh, how good our movement has been and what it has produced. And, you know, I do fear in both sides. You see this on the liberals, too, the liberals on those debates. Both sides have settled for, I would say, a form of mediocrity in too many cases, not all, but in way too many cases. That is just the difference between those skills and the skills of the mediocre today that we elevate as something more than mediocre. It's it's really the difference. It's really the difference between, um, you know, I don't know, a high school senior and a college professor, I suppose. I, I, I It's just night and day. It's just night and day. And and it's worth seeing how good those great oaks were because I think in the sense of modeling, it's important that that's what we strive and train for. Leo Strauss, who was my teacher's teacher and Alan Bloom's teacher, Leo Strauss said, um, it's more important to measure the low and light of the high than the high and light of the low. Because by doing the latter, you stunt growth, but in doing the former, you show the low what it can aspire to become. And I think we do too much of the opposite these days. I think we settle. I think we lower expectations. I think we take what we can get. Um, I think we elevate that which doesn't and wouldn't have received elevation in the not-too-distant past. And that really also is what Winston Churchill taught, that the chief task of the political scientist, and we're all political scientists, anyone who's engaged in the give-and-take of politics is a political scientist as far as I'm concerned. The task of the chief task of the political scientist is never to confuse mediocrity with true greatness. It's also equally important, I would say, never to take and accept the traditional criticism that mediocrity delivers on true greatness. And I think that's why Churchill said that, by the way, because he was too often dismissed by those he knew to be not so good. He was too often dismissed by them when in his full measure of his devotion to his causes, which ended up being our causes, what he knew about himself was melded before the very world, which was that he truly was great. And those criticisms of those who weren't, well, one just has to wonder how much bloodshed, how much death, how much despair, how much suffering might have been avoided were his greatness allowed to prevail in the absence of the mediocre critics who kept suppressing and keeping him down. Think about that with a lot of different leadership, too. David, did you have a word you wanted to say? You look like you were itching to say something, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot if you aren't. 
You, you can just <laughs> well, say you got no. Me on the spot now. No, no, I didn't. If you had nothing, that's fine. No, I didn't. Um, I want. Um, I want to point out an article to you at compactmag.com, compactmag.com, by Alan Dershowitz. Alan has made two interesting points in the last couple of few days. One is in a Wall Street Journal op-ed this morning where he was distinguishing the indictment against Trump from Watergate in an interesting, though not decisive, an interesting observation And it's worth a minute's consideration, probably not worth two minutes' consideration, but well worth at least a minute's consideration, which is remember what finally got Richard Nixon to surrender, to leave. And it was his own party, Republicans, Goldwater, Rhodes, and the like, saying, you just can't fight this. And what Dershowitz is noticing is, You don't have that from Congress and the Senate Republicans right now. It's not there. Not at all. Yeah, you have it from fellow presidential candidates. What do you want? But you don't have someone on his ideological side who is in elected office right now currently saying the jig is up. That's worth a minute's thought of distinction. A minute's anyway. We'll be right back. Bank failures, stock market volatility, inflation, a possible recession on the horizon. You ask, where can I invest? How can I invest? Well, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio with no fees. Why Refi is local, headquartered here, and I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101 I have. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much and like them so much, and you will as well. A due diligence-approved firm, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. Young David, you were second-guessing yourself on something you wanted to raise? I was second-guessing myself. Don't do that. Put me on the spot. Well, I, do well I don't have the expertise to comment on the articles of the day. I can comment on the topics of 30, 40, 50 years ago. And what I was going to say is perhaps – and. I'm, I'm not sure if this is an uh, accurate statement or not, but it seems as though the debate represents a shift almost in Republicans from what you might call the, the Kissinger doctrine of state to the uh, Schultz or Weinberg. The Panama Canal debate we were talking about? Yes, I would say so because, I mean, at least in Buckley's case, he's repudiating the actions of five years ago when they're referring to uh, Chile and I believe was it Pinochet? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, they're – it, it's almost a, a repudiation of the Nixon-Ford doctrine regarding state. And I think because, you know, they were um, – you might call it they engaged in the doctrine of stalling when it came to uh, the debate regarding uh, to sell or to keep the canal. And yeah. I, I think I think perhaps you may see the debate as a – Template point. A oh, template, an yeah, inflection yeah. point, yeah. Inflection point. Well, now you sound like the president <laughs> of today. 
Does Joe Biden use the word inflection point? Oh, have you not heard? He no. Is, I have got to show you. Yes, he, that is that is a Bidenism, and it has been for the past 20 years. Well, I've, let's, let's, let's stipulate I've probably only used it once in the last five months. So I think I'm on solid ground, and I've never used the word malarkey. Until just <laughs> Until now today. and saying it. Exactly. Until today. Exactly. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 